All right, everyone. I would love for us to continue our conversation. So feel free to stay in the groups that you're in or the people that you're around. But I usually like to ask like an icebreaker question before I speak. So um, the icebreaker question for you guys to talk about in groups of like four or so is, what job do you know you'll be really bad at and why? Okay. What job do you know you'll just be really bad at and why? All right, let's share. All right, I'm going to bring you guys back. Hopefully that was a hilarious discussion. Uh, I didn't realize this until Deborah brought it up, but I think the, the big things that I just really don't like are like blood and guts and seafood. So if I had to work at the Tsukiji Fish Market in Japan, <laughs> not only do you have to like be up at like 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. to be cutting fish in a place that just only smells like raw fish, oh, that would, I would be the worst at that. Um, yeah. But anyway, we are talking about work, our theology of work how to find Christ in our careers. Uh, we've been talking about um, a host of different topics uh, pertaining to this, uh, everything about how to be faithful, how to have um, integrity, the curse, and the, um, I guess like the calling for all of us to have work incorporated into our lives. And, you know, today we're going to be talking about kind of like high-level meta stuff. But before we do, um, we have scripture, so uh, I would love to call up our lectern, Apple, to read our scripture for today. Um, today's um, scripture is Luke 16, verse 10 through 13. Um, whoever can be trusted with every little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in hand handling worldly wealth who will trust you with true riches and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else prop property who will give you property of your own no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money thanks apple um so today we received a hard word. Um, you cannot serve both God and money. And I wanted to talk about uh, that. And even if we're not in our career stage or we don't have a job yet or we're not making money, um, this very much affects, it like goes down to the heart level of like why we do everything we do, what we're leading up to. And so I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of meta in that it's like we're just talking about not just like how to work, or how to work well to please the Lord, but like why we do everything we do. So um, when I think about why do you work, it might be kind of hard to answer that question. It's like obviously all of us are working to make money, to put food on the table and all that. But what is driving, say, like your five-year plan, your 10-year plan? I don't know if you guys even have one, but if you do, there's there's uh, gears that put in are put into place that, and you're like, well, I need to accomplish X or Y, so I need to be doing this to get there. And, um, you know, 
the day-to-day, the week-to-week, we might not be thinking about our five-year, 10-year plan, but there's something that's driving us that will ultimately shape our entire life, our entire career. Um, and what's crazy is that like, some, all of us may look like we're on a God-honoring path, like on a on a regular random Sunday, as you catch up with someone, you might not think about if someone else is on that path of honoring the Lord in um, in everything in our whole career. But um, that's the tricky thing. So I would argue that if we can't understand what lies beneath that question of why do we work, then then we'll find that in twenty and thirty years, the godly and the ungodly will just end up in very different places. It will have been a slow drift, but it will get there. And so um, it's just too easy to just like go with the flow, adopt the dreams and pursuits of this world, and you know, 20, 30 years, we're just, we just blink and then we're on a beach in Florida, um, just doing retirement, um, living off of, I don't know, is that really a life that's really serving the Lord? Is it one that's honoring to him, pleasing to him? Um, And I understand, you know, we need a place to live. We need food. We need all of these practical things. And work is the most common way for us to acquire all of that legally. But I believe that the Lord is challenging us that it's not just about what our financial goals are, or even just the admirable pursuit of providing, but were we faithful through it all? as the passage says. And so uh, I wanted to pray, and then we'll get, get even more into this. So, Father, we are discussing things that are near and dear because uh, they, they tug at the very core of a lot of that we do. Um, all of our decisions, monetary decisions, career decisions, um, relational decisions, vocation, or where we where we live, a lot of it is tied to work. Um, so God, would you um, open our hearts, allow us to be moldable, malleable to what you have to say to us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So New York Times columnist David Brooks, he wrote this article that was very interesting. He said, and I'm quoting him, It occurred to me that there were two sets of virtues, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace, and the eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral, whether you were kind, brave, honest, faithful, were you capable of deep love. And we all know that the eulogy virtues are more important than the resume ones, but our culture and our educational systems spend more time teaching the skills and strategies you need for career success than the qualities you need to radiate that sort of inner light. Many of us are clearer on how to build an external career than on how to build an inner character. Um, I thought that was a really profound quote. He knows, and we all know, eulogy virtues are ones that we would want to go for. Yeah, we want to be defined by those things. Yet, if we look at the time we spend, the decisions we make, Um, do we make these decisions because of the eulogy virtues that we're trying to build or the resume ones? And this is coming from a non-Christian opinion piece for the New York Times, but how much more true is it for us uh, who have a standard of virtues to live by 
we have an understanding of the type of eulogy virtues we want to live up to shown through the person of Jesus. We've been given a directive by the one who created us in his image to live for him, to be faithful to him, whether we're in work or not. And on our deathbed, we will not be worried about like, man, I wish I took a few more overtime shifts or man, I should have really worked harder during those weekends. But we'll be thinking and reflecting on the people that we loved and the people that we um, gave generously to and those that loved us enough. We'll be thinking about the relationships that matter the most to us um, and how we've acted and cared for them. We'll be thinking about the faithfulness of God on our lives and if we've been faithful to him. And that's the prayer. I think that's the goal. That's the dream. And, you know, if we don't, then the, I guess the, where we end up is regret on our deathbed. And there was a, um, a palliative nurse in, is that, I think I'm saying that right, in Australia who worked with uh, those that were dying. So like people on their last days. And she was kind of like taking note of what are the common themes that I hear um, for people on their deathbed. And she kind of uh, noticed some trends and she tracked them and she wrote a book. And it's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And, you know, there are, it's, it's a, like all of them are really interesting and thought provoking, but I just wanted to share the first two because I think that they're relevant to what, um, to what we're talking about today. The first one, I wonder if you guys kind of have an idea of like what it would be. But the first one is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the, lives that, not the life that others expected of me. Something in that realm. So, so many people realize that they made their life decisions just trying to please others or do the bidding of others, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously. And I'm sure many of us can relate to this. Um, we have a lot of immense pressure from our parents to do what they want us to do. Um, to become what they want us to become, um, whether it's to make a lot of money or to have a career that's reputable so they can brag about it with their friends um, or some other reason that may not be in line with what you actually want to pursue. If this describes you, I'm not saying that you're going to regret it at the end of your life. Um, if there's anything we've learned, it's that we can honor God and find peace and joy in whatever profession we're in, whether it was handed to us or not. And I think for those of us that have kind of come to terms with that, it, um, that's, you know, to have, to have peace with that is important. But that is number one in top five regrets of the dying, uh, not living the life uh, true to myself. The second one is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. That was their top regret or second most top regret um, on their deathbed. And according to the author, there were a lot of people who just felt this pang and not devoting more time into people or personal interests. And what's tragic is that, you know, nobody graduates from college thinking like, when I'm at the end of my life, I really hope that I'm just gonna regret working too hard. You know, like that's not a goal for them. And yet, so many people end up there. So this is the, um, this is the current that we swim in, in the 21st century. Um, Americans in secular, secular society. And if we don't fight against this current, the likelihood of us ending up here 
with one of these regrets is very high. And, but if we're followers of Christ, then by definition, um, we are headed in the direction of Christ. It will be in opposition to the world. And so I want to talk about how we live life without getting these regrets, um, without fear of working too hard. And I want to base it off what we see here in Luke 16. And I'm going to just kind of go backwards through the passage, starting in verse 13, because that's like the main thesis statement, and then how it backs it up uh, with the other three verses. So uh, verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So for context, Jesus uh, shared a parable, and he often uses money and work to describe his point because it's just so everyone knows and can relate to working, um, especially back then. And so uh, he shared a parable about a shrewd manager, someone who knew he was getting fired, so he kind of helped lower the debts of those um, that owed his company or his business, and in doing so, he kind of earned the friendship of these clients um, and would, and they, so that they would befriend him after his job was lost. And Jesus then, he draws the line very clearly. He's saying, like, at the end of it all, like, are you using money for godly things? Um, are you using it uh, for the purposes of God's kingdom? Or are you um, devoted to money in of itself? And Jesus draws that line very clear. It's like one or the other. You cannot serve both God and money, but you're serving one. And this is how it works. You can know which master you're serving by, you know, these diagnostic questions. I always like to ask myself these, like, diagnostic questions to make sure I know what's going on in my heart, kind of the way a doctor would if they ask you what kind of pains you're feeling, etc. The one question I ask myself is, who is enjoying the dollar that I've earned? Who's enjoying the dollar that I've earned? If the dollar stops with me and it ends with my indulgence, it ends with my entertainment, my experiences, then, if that is my ultimate goal in life, that is not serving the Lord. That is serving money. Money is my master. Because it's through money that I get entertainment or enjoyment or anything out of life. And, you know, I'm not saying that you can never do these things, never spend for yourself. No. The Bible says, <clears throat> if anyone doesn't provide for members of his household, he's denied the faith. And he's worse than an unbeliever. So, of course, we should ensure that our families are fed, taken care of, you know, loved. It's okay to enjoy a vacation, to watch a show. But when I ask who enjoys the dollar that you earned, I'm asking, like, is your enjoyment the end goal? Or is it, like, a means to an end? For the parable of the shrewd manager, money was used as a means to an end, the ultimate end of gaining friendships for the sake of, you know, knowing, bringing them to know God. Some people invest to have more, you know, to pad our own retirement accounts. For others, it's a mean to the ultimate end of being able to give more to missionaries, more to charitable work, to feed the hungry and the poor, to fund local churches, and to be generous. Some people want a house because they just want to live comfortably for themselves. For others, it's to provide a place for those who need a home. And to serve God and not money means that everything you have, everything you work towards, has a Godward purpose. 
It has kingdom value, which means it'll be eternal. So to serve God and not money means there's no exception clauses when Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's not like it's more blessed to give unless it's like at great cost to me. Or it's more blessed to give except for, you know, my house that I bought myself. Or except for this or that. Is just genuinely more blessed to give than to receive. Every dollar spent has its ultimate enjoyment in just giving ourselves away for others to, to know the generosity of the Lord, for others to come to know what it's like to be in a community. And so if your possessions, your vacations, your habits find its end in your own enjoyment, be careful. Know who your master is. But you can take those same vacations, buy those same possessions with the ultimate goal of it blessing and serving others because that's what your life is directed towards. And that would be pleasing to the Lord. Um, one of the ways that I think about um, this lived out was back in 2014, nine years ago, almost 10, Deborah and I got married. Uh, Blueprint was a lot younger then. And since most of the congregation was in high school or college, uh, we knew that it was a big priority for us to like find our own place, to have a place that we could just call home, uh, not just for ourselves, but we wanted it like a big enough place so that other people can come and feel welcome. And surprisingly, our co-op was, felt pretty big at the time. <laughs> um, but we were also like, we need a place with a lot of parking so that people can come more easily. We were just really thinking about like, how can we make our home a place where people can come? And it was really exciting. Uh, there were so many memories um, lived there. So many tears shed in that couch. So many naps taken on that couch. So many meals fed. So many like deep talks in the attic. I think like there's so many memories and I'm just so grateful that the Lord used that space in that way. Um, and we definitely, like, that was such a big priority for us in finding our home. We had prayed for our house to be, like, the sacred place for people to find family and belonging and to be, be a part with the Lord or find the Lord. And I'm, it's, um, I can look back and say that the Lord has done so much. There's a great joy when you make God your master and not money that when you delight in giving your, your things and yourself away, your enjoyment of anything you own is multiplied when it's being used to like serve the needs of others. And if we want to get to a place where we are wholeheartedly serving God as our master and not money, then there's these truths that Jesus brings um, in, the, in the verses preceding, and I just want to talk about that really quickly for the rest of our time here. So in verse 12... <clears throat> Jesus says, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So there's this uh, direct meaning to this and like this double meaning behind it, which I think is cool. In one sense, Jesus is referencing the parable, like how the manager wasn't doing well at his job and wasting the richer man's possessions, so he fired him. There goes his job. If you're not faithful in that which is another's, you're not going to get your own salary. But in a much larger sense for us as believers, we know how much of what we actually enjoy is ours. We believe that all we have, um, if we are believers, we believe that all we have is borrowed. 
um, it changes our possessiveness over it. We're all on borrowed time, borrowed resources, borrowed possessions. We can't take any of it to the next life. It's like, it's like being protective over like a, a paper straw. Like you care so much. It barely even lasts the length of a drink. And imagine being so possessive over something that's just going to disintegrate in a little bit of time. Um, <clears throat> and that's what it's like with our possessions. We have an eternity to enjoy reality that's like far more fulfilling with more than what we could ever imagine or ask for. And we cling on to what we have here on this earth. King David lived this out in a beautiful way. So early on in King David's reign, he summoned everyone together to pull in resources to build a temple for the Lord. It was a huge undertaking. It involved like thousands of people. Um, and he just called for, is anyone willing to give towards this cause of building a temple for the Lord? And iron, bronze, silver, gold, tons of raw material uh, just placed before them. Um, and it started with the leaders. It started with the leaders. <clears throat> and then all the, all the like, neighboring families in the town, they saw the generosity of the leaders. And they just started giving too. And all of a sudden, you had like, this huge pile of, of materials and resources. And then David um, responds with this, this prayer of praise. And it's in First Chronicles 29. And I'm just going to read it for you. It says, Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. He says, who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord, our, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and all is your own. So this massive pile of wealth, and King David already had a lot of possessions that he could call his own. And yet he offers this, uh, this beautiful prayer of just saying, it was never mine. All of it comes from the Lord. Um, David saying, to even have this opportunity to willingly give back to you is in itself like a gift. It's a blessing. Um, these are the prayers of someone who knows that our possessions are not our own. And it doesn't mean that we're not faithful with what we have. On the contrary, we're extra faithful with what we've been given. Uh, knowing that when we do get what is truly ours, we'll know how to be faithful with it already. We've already been living it out. We work hard at our jobs as if we're serving the Lord. And the money that we make from it, our homes, our cars, our gadgets, the Lord is calling us to be faithful with even those things. Um, they reveal how we treat the possessions that will ultimately be ours. Um, verse 11 talks about, if you then have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, 
Who will entrust you to the true riches? The unrighteous wealth. Or maybe, uh, as in Apple's translation, it was, it was worldly wealth. If we handle this with care and caution the way that we would our true riches. Similar to how when we serve the least of these, we're serving uh, Christ himself. We're to be faithful with what's before us as if the Lord himself has given us this opportunity. And true riches will come, not like prosperity gospel style, but in deeper, more meaningful ways. The true riches that God is talking about, perhaps he's talking about um, something beyond just money, right? Monetary value. Uh, we think about like in Romans 11.33, talks about the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Or Ephesians 2.4 talks about how God is rich in mercy towards us. And James 2.5, he says, Did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Richness is not just monetary. So when we look at what's provided for us in the person of Jesus and his promise for us, what he's purchased for us, Worldly wealth just kind of gets put in its place. We realize that there are things far better and greater than this unrighteous wealth that we have to deal with. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't mean that we're careless with it. You know, first, um, we obviously know that we handle it well for the sake of our families, for those that we love. But it's evidence of our assurance and the true security that we have in God. What we're promised is so much more than just heavenly currency, as if... You know, we just switch from dollars to like heavenly dollars, but the riches are found in God himself. We find richness in who he is, his presence, his mercy, his grace. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat is killing me. So if we aim to entrust, be entrusted with true riches, we should live knowing that we already have access to that which is most valuable. It's God himself. The little things, like the unrighteous wealth of this world, we don't sweat it. They have little eternal consequence um, to our long-term richness. And I know, like, <clears throat> I can say all these things, and it's like, yeah, we're rich, and have, we have inheritance, we believe that, we know that, but it's really hard to live right now in 2023. Um, we, might, we may not be where we are in our careers, we may not be where we are, um, in terms of our financial goals or whatever. And then verse, this verse 10 is like always really challenging to me. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And I want to marinate on that a bit. <coughs> Because it's like the natural tendency of man to desire success, to crave like abundance and wealth, because in that sense we like want to be like God. And to have a little can feel like you're doing something wrong. It, it can feel like you're failing at something and you're not living up to what you can be. You know, and I'm, I'm in my mid-30s and I sometimes look back at what I've accomplished or have not accomplished in life and I'm like, I wonder if I could have had more, if I could have done more, if I could have become more, if I had just done this, this, and this instead of that. That thought seeps into my head, even though 
so many things have happened in the past like 10, 15 years of my career. Um, that's the danger of everyone who thinks that they can like, and then even if, even if like I did get big or if I became incredibly wealthy or successful, who would know if I could actually bear that weight? That's the danger of everyone who thinks they can bear the weight of success without having been faithful with little. Because while faithful, while having little is like really difficult, uh, having success can be like devastating. Having success when you're not ready can be like catastrophic. Failure is like an opportunity for us to learn, to grow. Um, we're taught how to fall down and get back up again. Very valuable lessons. Um, but success, all of our greatest vices are just that much more accessible to us when we're successful. If you're rich and you're famous, you can have access to any sin that you want, however you want. Um, I'm sure all of us know a story of a celebrity who had it all, but, you know, got into some scandal, fell into depression, lost their money in one way or another. This is everywhere. And so being grounded and humble in the midst of success is like, it's another topic. But I'm guessing that many of us aren't in that stage of having immense success stories. I'm willing to bet that many of us are really struggling just to be faithful with little. And this is, um, <clears throat> aside from obviously what I've already shared about, like, we have immense riches that we have in God and who he is. We have an inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. Hallelujah, amen. But there is this tremendous opportunity for us um, on this side right now. We're not guaranteed riches, wealth, or success in this life. But we definitely have something to be faithful with right now. What do we do with it? What does it look like for us to be faithful with little? I think it looks like 1 Thessalonians 5 where he says to rejoice always, to pray continually, and give thanks. Um, for this is, it says give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will um, of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think being faithful with little is like a steady stream of gratitude. It looks like praise. It looks like a hunger for prayer. They say comparison is like the thief of joy. But gratitude can, can steal. It, it, it's the killer of comparison. If you know that the Lord is with you, you can say with confidence. Uh, the first verse of Psalm 23. <coughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need. There is no exception clauses. There's no like, God, if you would just give me this, then, then I'll praise you. There's no like, God, if you would just make me, you know, this rich, or if you just make this happen, then I'll start serving at church. Or, God, if you give me that job or make this investment pay off, then I'll know that you love me, or then I'll start to be generous. And, you know, some of us may not pray that directly, but in our hearts, we kind of like subconsciously believe it. And I know that I've been there. But when I think about how the Lord is just always worthy of praise, 
He is always deserving of honor and worship and glory. What are we doing when we put conditions on that? We are revealing what our true God is. If we have career goals that need to be met in order for us to worship God fully, we are serving the master of money. And I think there's some of us who have been putting conditions on our devotion to God. We're waiting for something to happen before we are faithful with little. We're waiting for that salary threshold in order to give our 10%. We're waiting for that promotion before we start being generous to our friends. But God is calling us to just be faithful with little. He's calling us to rejoice always, to pray unceasingly, and to give thanks in all circumstances, especially the one that you're in now. He's calling us back to the good and kind master whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. If this is the richest that we'll ever be in our life, I pray that we'll die happy knowing that there is eternal treasure waiting for us on the other side. With God as our ultimate prize. <coughs> and so, let our love to the Lord be unconditional. Let there be no exception clauses to our devotion to him. We don't need to wait for our circumstances to change, to be grateful, to be generous, and to be giving now. The Lord is calling all of us to be faithful with what little we have today. And so I wanted to also just share one last piece of scripture before I end. And it's this lesser known parable. Uh, it's the parable of the rich fool. And I think it encapsulates well what the difference between serving God and money. And in Luke 12, 16, Jesus says, <coughs> The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So, rich or poor, whether we're in plenty or in want, may we always be rich to the Lord. Um, in our unconditional devotion, in our affection, in our generosity to him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would <clears throat> show us who we're serving, that would be revealed to us if we're serving money or if we're serving you. Lord, I pray that you would teach us <clears throat> how to be faithful with the little that you've given us, that we don't have to wait for a certain external circumstance to be generous to you, to be giving to you, be loving to you. Lord, we can do that today. And Lord, if there are circum uh, conditions that we've placed in our hearts to give you the praise and glory and honor that you deserve, Lord, just would you destroy them? Let our worship and affection to you not be circumstantial, not be conditional. But Lord, may we be able to give you the praise and glory at all times, in all circumstances, to give you thanks. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Where would we be if the love of God for us was conditional? Where would we be if, we, if our acceptance into his family was based on how much we could offer him or how well we did? We would all be destined for, for hell. But for some reason, for, by the grace of God, he, he loves us all the same, like regardless of what we've done. There were no conditions because Jesus fulfilled all of them. Jesus was, in his sacrifice, everything we needed for, for righteousness, for full of life, for eternity. And that's what we get to reflect on when we partake in communion. The bread, which represents his body, broken for us, and the cup, which represents his blood shed for us. And so I pray that as we eat and we drink, we partake in together, we remember the unconditional love that the Lord has for us, that he did not withhold anything to have us. And in what little we have, like King David, I pray that we would just be grateful for the opportunity to give. To give, whether it's monetarily, whether it's our affections, our commitment to him, our generosity. Let's be faithful with little, whatever that means to us today. And so I invite you guys to come up and to partake in the Lord's Supper. And we can commune together. We won't always have little. The majority, the vast majority of our existence will be one of richness. Of abundance. Of having all that we need of having every tear wiped away. <laughs> we won't always have this little. And what a gift to God it would be if we could show our gratitude and our faithfulness in the little. knowing how much more in store we have waiting for us. The Lord wants to entrust to us true riches today. The riches of his wisdom, of his mercy, of his grace, of his presence, of the forgiveness of sins. Let's be faithful to the Lord in our offerings to Him. Be amazed at the ways that He shows up. So, Lord, I pray for those of us that found it hard to pray in our condition. In whatever situation we're in, 
it may not be easy to still give you praise, to be thankful, to be in communication with you in prayer. But Lord, you're calling us to be faithful with little. Thank you for being faithful first. I pray that your faithfulness will carry us through this time. I pray this in your name. Amen. So let's give to the Lord our praise and our affections and our unconditional love and respond to him in worship today. No conditions. No exceptions. Lord, receive the glory that you're due. Receive the worship and honor that you're due. We will praise you in plenty. We'll praise you in want. We'll be faithful with little because money is not our master. Lord, you are. Security is not our God. You are our God. You are our security. You are our shepherd. And in you we lack nothing. And so from this place of contentment, Lord, would you just remind us of your abundance your provision, your miracles that you're working in us in our situations. Thank you for being a generous, loving God. We worship you. We honor you with all that we have, every portion, every part. In your heavenly name, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. May the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all today as we go out and enjoy lunch. Um, be blessed, y'all.